Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I also want to welcome you. My name's uh, Charlie Lofton. I'm a little OCD, so I'm just going to get that back. Okay, uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad. I also wanted to um, uh, welcome you. Really glad that you're here. Um, I think I, I, I've noticed uh, lately, I don't know if, if you noticed this, but it just seems like that everything now is either the worst or the best, right? Everything, you know, this, is, this is just the worst it's ever been, right? And I don't know if it's because we like to exaggerate, which, which I do. I mean, I love to take a good story and add 10 things that aren't true to it to make it an even better story. Yeah, that's my thing. But, ne- but never when I'm preaching. Don't you worry about it. There's 100% authenticity on all, all stories preached. Um, I also think, I think, we're, I think we're, 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 we're creatures of the moment, right? We can only think about what's happening right now. And so when you say this, like in our current climate in the, in the, in the U.S., people say, well, this is, just, this is just the worst it's ever been. I'm like, wow, no, it's the worst. I mean, the 60s, it's pretty, it's pretty bad then. The 1860s, it was pretty, pretty bad then. We've never been more divided. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to minimize now, but you kind of need to take a step back. So, well, okay, forget that. We've ne- it's, it's never been more partisan than it is now. Well... They used to kill each other in duels, right? I mean, this is not a, this is not amazing what we're doing right now, but so far there have been no ten paces like two politicians killing each other to decide who's right. You know, I mean, it's like, like can we just? But it's like we're now just minimizing it. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, maybe it's not the best it's ever been. Maybe not the worst it's ever been. Maybe we could all just dial it back a little bit. But I really do. I think more than anything, I think we just we lack a good historical perspective. We don't we don't know the events that have kind of brought us to who we are. We don't understand progress or the lack of progress, the ups and downs. We just kind of lack this big picture. We're just kind of creatures of the moment. I know what's happening to me right now, and that's it. And honestly, um, this has kind of been the purpose of of this series that we've done over the last few weeks. It's been a relatively short series for what we've done in the last five weeks. Last five weeks, kind of taken five stories, one from Genesis all the way here to the New Testament, five stories in chronological order, these kind of snapshots of kind of some foundational moments in, in Bible history that really have kind of shaped who we are as Christians, what it means to be a part of a church, what does it mean to follow Jesus, because I think sometimes we lack that we don't we don't understand where we've been it doesn't help us understand where we're going because i'm so trapped in the moment that i have right now and as we get trapped in moments and we lose some of the the grounding of the faith and the things that have kind of helped shape who we are when we when we lose that then we then we lose out really on who we are and so what we've done is kind of look back at some of these principles that help us understand god's values we talked about in the in the tower of babel how how diversity is one of god's core values and we've we've looked at things about where, where you see the the grace and goodness of God in the Old Testament where sometimes we 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 give God make make God out like he was just really mean in the Old Testament and Jesus changed his mind later and and so we lost that perspective and then and then last last week we started in the New Testament we'll be there again we're gonna do two uh, sessions in the book of Acts we kind of looked at essentially what the church's birthday was when the church really started. And, and what this can really do is help us understand, like, what is the foundation of who we are and what we're supposed to be as a church? 
And so we see that in Acts chapter 2. We talked about this last week in Pentecost. And um, what happens there is a relatively small group of people are following Jesus at this time, maybe like 70. And the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them and overwhelms them and allows them to speak in all these different languages where people from all around the world are now able to hear this. And, and it happens in that moment that 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so at this foundation, essentially what we would call the church begins in that moment. And there's two really foundational principles there that I think that maybe the church over time, at least in certain places, is lost. One, the power of God is large. I mean, the power of God is, is huge and overwhelming, and God is wanting to do big things in us through His Spirit. And the second thing that I think that we've lost is that from the very moment it, the, the church had an outreach focus, the Spirit comes, and it wasn't about the 70 of them all together having an awesome experience together. It was taking what God did in them and spreading it out to people who had no idea who Jesus Christ was. And 3,000 people come to faith. You put those two things together, and both of those things should be rock-solid principles of who we are as a church. But if all we know of church is, well, I've been to this, this church, this is all I know, or maybe this church and this other church, sometimes we can get too narrow in what it is we believe that God can do and what God wants us to do. So we, f- we fast forward here to Acts chapter 15, where we're going to be today, and I should, I should um, fill in the gaps here a little bit. You know, Jesus comes to them and with the Great Commission, a passage we're going to look at more in depth here in a few weeks. Um, basically says, hey, up to this point, you've been following me, you're followers of Jesus, and what that meant was, if I go to this town, you, you know, follow me to that town, right? Very literal. Here's what I need you to do now that I'm gone. I need you to take this message of how you can have a relationship with God through me. I need you to take it everywhere. Tell everyone that you can about how they can be reconciled to God through me. Take this message, teach them the things I've taught you, go do this. And then Acts is is essentially a recording of them doing that. And in Acts 1.8, when it describes that Great Commission, it says you need to do it in Jerusalem, Judea, which was kind of the surrounding area, Samaria, which was kind of the next, the next surrounding area over, which had people who weren't quite Jewish, but there was some racial animosity there, but they were sort of Jewish, and, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth, the people who have no connection to Judaism at all. And so that's the message, and then we see Acts playing out that way. We see in Acts chapter 2, we see the awesome thing happen in Jerusalem, and then the movement begins to expand. And then we see it move to Samaritans. Again, it's a, it's a long story, but there's a lot of racial and historical animosity between these two groups. They were always kind of opposed, but the Holy Spirit shows up for them in the same way it did in Acts chapter 2, and they realize, man, God's wanting us all to be unified, which is a great message. And so then it expands beyond that to people who have no connection to, the, to, their, to their Jewish faith at all. And it becomes kind of a, a, this weird deal where God visits this guy Cornelius in a dream and says, go find this guy, Peter. And Peter, who was kind of the leader of the church, God visits him in a dream. And essentially in this dream says, these things and these people that you have considered to be unclean and you can't associate with them, you've got to stop that because I am declaring them clean. He wakes up from that and these people from Cornelius come to him. And then Peter goes with them, which he never would have done. I can't be seen with you kind of people. It's, I can't go to your house. I would, be, I, would become, I, I would become dirty just walking into your house. 
And, 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 but God says, no, no, no. Look at this thing that I'm going to do. And so he follows God, trusts him, goes there to this place, tells them about Jesus, same deal. Holy Spirit shows up. Like, wow, the Spirit is even moving in people who don't have anything to do with our Jewish faith, which is mind-blowing to them because all the way up until this point, to be connected with God means to be connected with the Jewish faith. So you had to follow the Jewish rules. You had to follow the Jewish patterns. That's what it meant. And now God's doing something different than that. And it's very confusing to them. And so what's happening is they're trying to decide, what do we do about this? Do these people have to become Jewish too when they put their faith in Jesus? And the decision that they make, and this is called the Council of Jerusalem, the decision that they make here obviously has great impact on us. Because here we are, we're not Jewish, we've never been Jewish. Our, most of our ancestors here are not Jewish. But here we are, part of this faith that began with this core group of Jewish people trying to decide what to do with people like us. What rules do we have to follow? And what happens here in this story really establishes, I believe, once and for all, or at least it should have, what the gospel really is. What does it really mean to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Pull out all the other things, the traditions, the, these rules, these regulations. Pull out, what does it really mean? What do you really have to do or be or believe to be a follower of Christ? And so it's had huge impact, and it's good to kind of us understand this historically. But it's also good for us personally, because I think there are a lot of us that have kind of drifted in the 2,000 years since this happened where we are losing sight of the core of what the gospel, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. We're, we're losing that. We're, we're adding things. We're twisting things. And getting back to this, this kind of basic, this basic kind of foundational story, I think, can help us. So here we go. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So circumcision, it's one of these things where you read this 2,000 years later and it just always seems weird. At least it seems weird to me. This is a weird thing to read. It's like, Unless you're circumcised, you can't be right with God. It's like, that's, that's weird. It's just weird. It's just a weird thing to focus on. But this isn't weird to them. It was, a, it was a covenant that was established with Abraham from the very beginning. This is going to be a sign of the fact that you are my people. This is going to be a physical, outward symbol to represent your covenant with me. And it had been true for as long as they live, everybody that they've ever known, as long as they've lived, their grandparents, 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 grandparents. This was what it was. And suddenly one day they're supposed to go, ah, well maybe it's not that big a deal anymore. They can't do it. Why would they? This is a huge deal. This is a foundational cornerstone. So of course, oh, you people think you follow God through Jesus? You need to make sure that you have this very important symbol that determines that you're a part of this covenant. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, you're, 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 you're out of bounds here. That's not true. Verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles, again, non-Jews, how the Gentiles had been converted. The news uh, made all the believers very glad. 
And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So now this debate in this council is going to begin. There's this group of people who are like, man, we, we, are, we have been followers of God for a long time. We now understand who Jesus is. But, I mean, this is still a foundational principle. So if anybody comes to faith, they need to start with this very foundational principle and be circumcised so they can be a part of God's family. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So again, referencing that story from Cornelius that we were talking about just a little bit ago. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So he didn't do, I mean, the Holy Spirit came on us, this happened to us, they, they weren't circumcised when they came to Christ, and, and God did the exact same thing for them. No discrimination, no difference. Verse 10, now then, why? Do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, which is a burden, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So you're going back and you're saying like that somehow these Gentiles, that they can't come to faith unless they, unless they follow these Jewish law, this Jewish law, which doesn't make sense because... We've already seen the Holy Spirit come on them just by believing. So that doesn't make any sense. But now you're wanting to add this burden to them after the fact. But it's a burden that we were never able to bear. We, we never followed the law completely. All it has been for us is this huge burden. Why would we give that burden to them? Because we know for us and them that there's only one way that you are reconciled to God. And that is through grace, through a gift, a gift of God through the death of Jesus, that's the only way that we're saved. That's the only way we got saved. That's the only way that they're going to get saved. Why would we add this other thing? So here's kind of a theological principle that I think is both important to understand historically, but then also to kind of help us with individually, which is this, is that no one was ever saved by the law. No one was ever saved by the law. In fact, it doesn't make any sense. Right? So to say that you need to be saved means you're in a bad way with the law already. Following the law now doesn't make up for the fact that you broke the law before. Right? It doesn't make any sense. A law can't save you. The only thing a law can do is theoretically show you how you can get not saved. Right? How you not in a bad way. So the, the metaphor would have to be, I'm already good. I break the law. Now I'm not good. Well, how do I, how do I undo that? Well, by following the law. Too late! Right? And so, and so there becomes a problem. And so the purpose of the law, and Paul makes this very clear in the New Testament, the purpose of the law was so that you would see how much you need help. This is what it would mean to be perfect if one can do it, which of course no one can. You need something else. You, you need forgiveness. You need a Savior. That was the purpose. And Paul described it as it is a tutor, a teacher, that is meant to show you and point you to Christ. No one ever gets saved that way. 
Again, all throughout the New Testament, it describes this, that the people in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, they responded to God the same way that we all do. Because it's about having a relationship with God, and you do that by faith, by a personal, individual trust in Him, and a belief in that God will forgive you for what you've done. And we now know that that's through Jesus. That is how it happens. It is a relational faith. It is grace. It is a gift. It is forgiveness. And so we need to understand that historically. It can kind of help us understand the Old Testament a little bit better and the way that Paul talks about it. But you also need to understand this for you. As we fast forward, I still think that there are some of us who, who believe that the way that you're right with God is by following all the rules. That was never true. Not when there were, there were the most rules with the Old Testament law. It wasn't true then, and it's certainly not true now. That is not how you make things right between you and God. And so we'll add this to this idea that, that no one was ever saved by law. We'll add this to it, that the gospel doesn't have any add-ons. The gospel has no add-ons. There, there, there are no terms and conditions that apply that you need to click the little box, right? Which, which, which would be a really good way to do this, I think. You know, the, oh, yeah, it's grace really free. Just, 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 just come join the church. It's free. No, no problem at all. Just click this box that says you've read the terms and conditions. Because no one reads terms and conditions, right? We could sucker you in all sorts of ways. But the reality of it is there are no terms and conditions. A gift is a gift. And overwhelmingly, all throughout Scripture, the death of Jesus Christ and the life that we have with God through Him is described as a gift. And gifts do not have strings attached to them. At the point you have a string attached to it, it's something, but it's not a gift. So the gospel doesn't have any, any add-ons, right? So we'll, say, we'll describe it a whole bunch of different ways. One, there's no preconditions. And I think this is the one that so many of you need to hear. Because there's some of you here who are still, let's just say, on the fence. You know, the people here who have been walking with God for a while, you're needing to remind yourself of this. But there are some of you who are still just kind of trying to figure it out. And I want you to hear me say that there aren't any preconditions. I cannot tell you how many times I've had a heartbreaking conversation with somebody where I explain to them who Jesus is. And, 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 and the life that you can have and how the gospel is free. And it's like, yeah, that totally makes sense, right? But i I, I got I to get right first. Uh, there's some things in my life that aren't good, and I've got to stop doing that. i got to get good with God first, and then, then I can accept Jesus. And then part of me is like, maybe, maybe I'm not as good a communicator as I think I am. Maybe this person's just dumb or, or what. I don't, I don't know. Like, no, you're not listening to me because what I already acknowledged the fact, that's the beginning of the gospel. I already knew that there were some things about your life that weren't right with God. That's kind of, st- that's kind of the, the first thing that we talked about. That's why you need Jesus in the first place. You need Jesus because he's the one that makes you right. Well, I got to get right first. Like, it's, it's out of order. I got to get right and then I can have Jesus. No, you got to have Jesus so that then you can get right. But somehow we get into, into our head that I'm not good enough to even start. And I don't, I don't have to ask myself, man, I, I wonder where that comes from. Because I saw where it came from in my church growing up. Um, I still remember, man, a lot. The, the story of the, di- of the day 
the dude walked into church. He was late, which was bad enough, right? He's already got three demerits, right, with God, right, because he's late. But he walked into that church late. He was wearing blue jeans, guys. And I'm telling you, there was an audible gasp. And you could feel everyone in the place holding their breath. as we stared him to his seat. Do you think that guy thought he was good enough, that, 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 that a relationship with God was free? Did he, you think he thought there were some preconditions that one had to meet before you could really be worthy to hear the truth about God? Do you think we ever saw him again at church? I know where this idea comes from. We've put it on people. That's not who we're going to be. Because we know there aren't any preconditions. In addition to that, there aren't, there aren't any hidden terms, right? It's not like, yeah, it's totally free, but you've got to get circumcised. It's totally free, but you've got to get baptized. Now, baptized, we just baptized some people in the first service. It was amazing. Baptism is awesome. And if you've never done it, you absolutely should do it. Which is very different than you must do it. It is a great moment where God does something really cool in you. It is a public expression. It has is, it is always been considered kind of your first step post-giving your life to Christ. But that's just it. It is a first step that you do because you should. It's not the way that you do it. But sometimes we just think, it's like there's certain things, certain rituals you have to do. But there's also no payment plan. right? And this one's very important. There are no payment plans. And so I use this as an example because I, I just always do because it's just so horrifying to me. Like you drive past the place, right? And it says, you can have a TV, 70-inch TV, for no money down, read free, right? And just $10 a week, right? You get a free TV. And then you just have to pay $10 a week for the rest of your life. Right? Don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. And don't go to payday loans. Okay? If, if you, if, just don't. Just don't. Those things, anyways. Okay. That's not what we're talking about. But that's what happens. Like, you think what's going to happen is, hey, it's free. What God's doing, man, it's totally free. But there's all these things that you have to do. And in my church growing up, it was very clear. We talked about. The, the free gift of God, and we talked about all this, but it was very clear that there was payments that you had to make at the end. And every church was a little bit different. Ours was made it very clear, right? It, it could be summed up in the, in the colloquial southern expression, don't uh, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Who's with me, right? Right? And certainly don't dance, because dancing clearly is a gateway drug to smoking, dancing, and chewing, and going with the wrong kinds of girls, right? And if you just came to church, gave your money and avoided those things, then, that, then, you were, then you were still good. But the reality of it is, that's just not true. That makes it not a gift. That makes it layaway. That makes it rent to own. If there's ever a point in which you were good, but it can be taken away from you, if you're not good, it's something, but it's not a gift. And it's not what the gospel is. And so they're having this debate... And they ultimately decide, hey, we are not going to burden them with the law. So let's send them a letter and let's tell them what we are going to do. So verse 27 of Acts chapter 15, 
they're, de- they're describing this letter, and they're going to send some people to kind of with the letter. Verse 27, kind of in the middle of this, 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 this note that they're sending. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So we're not going to put the burden on you. We're not going to make you have to follow all these rules and all these laws. We don't want to put any of that on you. We agreed. The Holy Spirit confirmed it. We are, we, are, we are not requiring you to follow the Old Testament. But we do have a few little requirements for you. Verse 29, you are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idol, from blood, don't drink blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So you don't have to deal with this whole burden, but at the same time, there's a few things that we would like for you to consider to make sure that you put on your list of things that you should and shouldn't do. Okay? You just, so, so you're not trying to burden you. You don't have to follow this law. But, but you need to make sure you don't do these things, which is interesting because we have to put our mind around this some way. And here's the way we'll, 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 we'll say it for now. The gospel has no add-ons, but how you live matters a lot. It matters a lot. Because here's one of the most ridiculous things that, that, that seems to happen to me sometimes when I start, what we'll just say, passionately preaching grace, that the gift and the gospel is totally free. This weird little thing happens like, wait a second. I, I get what he's saying. He's saying I can do whatever I want and everything's fine. That's what he's saying. Like, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with our brain, right? There's something wrong with our brain that we hear that the loving, awesome, all-powerful God of the universe is giving you this incredible gift even though you're a sinner. And you're, our first thought is, how can I use this to my advantage to be able to do whatever I want and disrespect the God who gave me the gift? That's a great plan. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong. If, if, if the only thing that we can think of is like, is like well, now I'm off the hook. Because the only reason I can think of to do what God wants me to do is to keep Him from sending me to hell. If He's not going to send me to hell, then I'm just going to do whatever it is I want to do. Like, that's just sad. And I remember having this conversation. This was back before I... I, There there actually was a time, not when I gave Chick-fil-A all of my money, but Chick-fil-A actually used to give me money. I used to work. I was a night manager for Chick-fil-A when I was in seminary, which is, which is pastor grad school, right? And this was in Colorado. And uh, a lot of the kids, I mean, we didn't pay great at this particular Chick-fil-A, but we still got a lot of kids to come apply because we were off on Sundays. So we got a lot of dedicated church kids and also a lot of Mormons would want to work. So I interacted with a lot of, a lot of kids like this. And I remember this one kid, uh, this, he, he was a Mormon, and we're having this conversation and he says to me, and we're just talking about the gospel, what he believes, what I believe, it was really good. He said, man, here's the thing that I don't get. Man, you are saying that it's completely by grace. And, and, and that you can just do whatever you want. And that it doesn't really matter how you act. That you can just get away with anything without consequence. And we just began to talk about this a little bit. And, and my heart began to break a little bit. Because the only motivation that this kid could come up with for, for doing right was fear. 
The only thing that he had been taught about the nature and character of God was that God was someone who was to be feared, and if you did not follow the line just so, he would revoke away from you any good thing that he wanted to give you. And my heart began to break for this kid. And we just began to talk about it and began to talk about it. You know, it's really not. You can just do whatever you want. It's just that your salvation is free and you are secure in your relationship with God forever. But of course it matters. Of course it matters. And there's lots of reasons. I just want to show, I want to show God that I'm thankful. I, I, I want to have a good, healthy soul. If God says these things will destroy your soul, I don't want to do them. And I want to honor this God because he's loved me so much. But then there's also this reason that I think is right here. Because let's, can we just be honest? Can we just be honest? This is kind of a weird little list that they gave, right? I mean, he didn't put murder on the list. I mean, murder, we're going to put something in the law. Like, don't be killing folk. That's not good. And stealing and lying, those things aren't on the list. It's a weird list, right? Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, don't drink blood. I guess that makes sense. That's kind of gross. Um, Meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. It's like, wait, that is, the sexual morality I get. That's one of the church makes a big deal about that one forever, right? Those other ones don't make sense. But here's the thing. You put all of those things together. And what you have is all of those things were a part of the worship of idols and other gods in these cultures. And so if you did those things, most of those things were acts of worship, but acts of worship to idols and to false gods. And so what, what they're saying to them is, hey, again, it's free. We're not trying to add you with a burden. But here's the thing that we want. We want you to live your life in such a way where it is very clear to people around you that you no longer follow this path, that you are following the one true God. Because it is your job, it is your responsibility to model and show to the world around you the beauty and joy of being a follower of God through Jesus Christ. So separate yourself from this. And show the world this other thing. So you got to give this up. Because you don't want to look like that anymore. You want to look like this so it has great appeal and people can see. There's a word that gets used in, in Christian circles a lot that we have a lot of different definitions for. And the word's holy. And when I say holy, you think uh, holier than thou, perfect or something. But really the idea of holy is that you're kind of set apart for a different purpose. This is common. Everybody looks like this. You're holy. You're different. You know, kind of like the, 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 the china in, in, the, in the thing that never comes out or, or, the, or the fancy towels that they put in, you put in the guest bathroom that you're afraid to wash your hands with, right? Those, those things. They're holy. They're different. They're special. And this is what they're saying. It's like you want to live in such a way that is holy and special so that the world will know of your commitment to God through Jesus. So you want to talk about a good exercise to ask yourself, in my world right now, what would that look like? What would it look like the way the world is, or my world, my work environment, my school, what would it look like for me in this environment to show that I'm, I'm not in all this? I'm living above it because of my relationship with Jesus. Can I just put one in your ear in addition to don't drink blood because that's still gross? Let's go back to what we were talking about earlier. I think our world is desperate and hopeless and believes that it is on a path to some sort of inevitable destruction. Maybe it is. But what if in the midst of all of that, as everybody here is giving in to hopelessness and despair and grief, 
that you could live a life above it that said, my hope and my life aren't found in these things that have got us all so troubled. My hope and my life is found in Jesus Christ. And that I can live in a way that is full of joy and hope that goes beyond my perception of the external circumstances that are going around me. I'm telling you, that is what our world right now is craving. And it is looking to us. And so I encourage you to abstain from all of that. The grief, the bitterness, the anger, the hopelessness and despair. And live a life full of joy and hope of a future that God has for each one of us. You do that. And again, people will see the beauty and joy of following Jesus Christ. So again, we're coming here from all sorts of different places, and I want to come back to those of you who are still on the fence. Pray that you would get off that fence and be a follower of Jesus Christ and know that there's nothing you have to do before. We're not going to bait and switch you at the end. You just fully give your life to Jesus Christ now. And for those of us that have been walking with God, I encourage you. Are you allowing kind of this, you know theoretically that there's no burden. Are you allowing a burden to come on there, this burden of have to? Are you adding things? Are you adding your own terms and conditions? Free yourself from that. And then let's ask, let's all ask, what would it mean for us to live a life? Live a life of hope and joy that could show the world the reality of who Jesus is. So we're going to worship. Great Ray to respond to that. To God that way. There's a prayer team that will have to pray for you or with you if you have a burden. There's prayer candles, communion, there's a cross, lots of ways to respond. We're also going to we're also have an opportunity to give. And um, I'm tell you, I'm a big believer in giving. I, I just think it's awesome. I love doing it. And here's one of the things I love, tied to the message a little bit. I'm not telling you you have to give. No one's telling me I have to give. There's no one checking up on me. There's no one telling me I have to do anything. It is a thing that I get to do willingly and freely. I be able to, I'm able to take what God has given me and bless the world with it. Not out of obligation, but out of a joyous freedom. And that is the life that God is calling us to. Not one where we just do whatever we want. But we get to be who God's called us to be with complete and total freedom. The freedom to be exactly who God has called us to be and to model that to a world that is desperate for Him. Let me pray for us. God, I thank You. Yeah, I thank You that You continue to bring people here to our church every week who are still unsure about following You. And God, I pray that today would be their day. That all the, the burdens that they, they've, they've heard about or they've added to themselves, God, you would free them of those. And God, allow them to freely come to you. To ask for the forgiveness that you offer through your son, Jesus Christ. That we would accept that gift. And God, that you would make us new. And just like you did all throughout the book of Acts, that your spirit would come upon us. And that, God, that you knew you would use us to make a difference in this world. And, God, I pray that you would free all of us from all the unnecessary burdens. And that, God, that even as we live holy lives, 
It would never be out of burden, but out of a great privilege to serve you and to give hope to a dying world. God, we love you, and we thank you for your Son who makes all that possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.